0: This is the All Pro Wrestling 100 podcast for November 11th, 2020. This podcast is all pro wrestling and it is only pro wrestling. I'm your host, JB, and today I'm going to be bringing you results from the November 10th impact as well as the results from the AEW dark taping. We're going to be talking about some legitimized news and rumors that can be found on the internet this week, and we're going to get you ready for this week and next week in pro wrestling. Let's kick it off, because you know we've been away for a while. We're going to bring it to you right now. Let's get into some Impact. Impact has been promoting the return of the knockout tag team titles. And to start that off, we got Tennille Dashwood and Melina Tagging with Madison Rain going to be taken on Jessica Havoc and Nevaeh. I enjoyed this. This was a plenty sexy match to be watching. It ends with Havoc, the tombstone pile driver on Madison Rain. They win. I enjoy Havoc and Nevaeh. I, I still haven't quite figured out what Nevaeh's gimmick is, except that she hung out with Havoc somewhere in the Indies. But uh, I can tell you this. Tenille Dashwood can't wrestle. Now, I don't know what Vince saw when he was mad that she didn't want to do 45 seconds against Ronda Rousey and ended up getting released. They seemed to think that she had a lot of talent, and they tried to make her a model and rename her Emmalina, and she didn't want anything to do with it because she didn't want to be over-sexualized, and I don't know about any of that. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I'm your podcast host, and I was privy to those conversations. But I can tell you that they saw something in her to make them believe that she was a pro wrestler up there in Stanford. And she's in Impact right now, and she can't wrestle. I saw her in Ring of Honor. She couldn't wrestle. And I thought at first that maybe she was uh, a little bit enhanced, maybe on some pharmaceutical. She seemed very laid back, a little too laid back, like maybe she was going to take a nap uh, between spots in the ring. When she first got to Impact, we're talking four or five months ago, and she didn't go anywhere. And it was pretty obvious why she didn't go anywhere, because people don't tune in to Impact to watch wrestlers nap. And she just she had no speed. She had no coordination. She didn't work well. Had no chemistry with any of the girls. Now they've got her with Caleb with a K. Don't know who this guy is. Uh, and they, They're playing up like she's a social media star. I got an idea, though. I think she should take less pictures, and she should work on like headlocks and arm bars. Because, boy, she's sloppy and choppy in the ring. I don't know. It's going to be a long time before we see Tennille Dashwood hold a major singles women's title. If she can't learn to actually put on a 10-minute match without looking like she needs to take a break because she's lost all of her cardio and needs, a, needs some water. I don't know, it's not good. I'm a big Jessica Havoc fan, so this worked out for me. The Knockouts Tag Titles have been gone for a while and Impact has been working for over a year to develop actually women's tag teams that, that have a, a pedigree behind them and that have got some matches and some experience and some reason for these women to be partnered. It's some real storyline and history as opposed to just throwing together teams, which we're going to talk about a little bit later on AEW Dark, throwing together teams and calling them tag teams of individual wrestlers with no chemistry. Impact's been working on this for a while to put together tag teams that the fans want to see fight and that they want to see compete for belts that did not exist. If anything, Impact has waited way too long to bring back the Knockouts tag titles. It should have happened a year ago, but they are full stacked with female tag teams right now. The people actually care to see. So this is a good call. Maybe don't put Emelina with Jordan Grace, which they decided later in this program they were going to do. Emelina can't wrestle a singles match. I guess if you stick her in there in a tag match, she's one of four as opposed to one of two. And you can hide the fact that she's boring and slow. But Jordan Grace doesn't need any help turning me off these days. I'm sure we're going to get into that in the future, but let's move on here. Josh Matthews tells us that Turning Point is coming Saturday, and it was announced as one of our new, quote, uh, monthly specials. What this is is Impact's final transition into a full network model that the WWE and pretty much every other content creator in the world has come up with over the last few years of paying for the infrastructure for somebody to design you an app that's reliable and can work and can spread your content and then going out on your own and doing it on your own there is no more impact partnering with all of these other organizations to bring you their catalog they're bringing it to you through the impact plus app and now they're gonna have a monthly special each month that could be called a pay-per-view this first one's gonna be turning point we've seen turning point in the past I wish impact the best with this I've been a loyal Viewer of all of their special events through all of the different broadcasting channels over the last couple of years, and I have watched some really bad pro wrestling. I've watched some really poorly produced pro wrestling. Last year's Victory Road was the worst produced pay per view anybody ever saw, and it was on an Indian reservation. No one was there. It looked like it was filmed in a garage. They started late. They couldn't cut the mics when they needed to have production conversations, so you just got Josh Matthews talking to, to the production staff in the midst of the pay-per-view. It was, Sammy Callahan actually came out to save it, and he sat at the announce desk, which was a folding table, and started working some comedy to help provide a little levity from the fact that this... They knew Victory Road was an embarrassing production, and I think they learned from their mistakes. We're going to work towards turning point on Saturday. I'm excited for it. Next up, we had Rohit Raju, the X-Division champion, defending against TJ Perkins. Uh, TJ's been floating around here, wrestling every couple of weeks on impact. Uh, Puts on great matches, but hasn't really gotten a push yet. This has been Rohit Raju's chance to hold the belt. He's been a heel for quite some time since the Desi hit squad, and I guess they're going to let him hold on to the title for a while. He's paid his dues. He's waited his turn. so He gets over with cheating on TJP. We're going to move on now to the who who shot Johnny Bravo story that I'm not really going to cover. Tommy Dreamer's the detective in this nonsensical storyline with 10 different suspects that nobody cares about. Johnny Bravo is not important enough for us to care that he's missing on a pro wrestling show. But I can say this. Tommy Dreamer's match time gimmick, if, if you haven't seen it, he comes in the room in the midst of somebody else's feud and screams match time. This is probably the best gimmick of his career. It's funny. Tommy Dreamer, besides ripping off other wrestlers like Dusty Rhodes and lately the Road Warriors, Tommy Dreamer doesn't have a gimmick except nostalgia and cheap pop. And I'm sorry, but I saw all of that I wanted to see with Mick Foley back in the day. I I don't have any room for that, but I enjoy Tommy's match time, referee, reality show host persona that he's got going not crazy about the Sherlock Holmes gimmick he's using this week, but it's all right. Tommy's on to something. Impact's on to something, and this is working for me. We're going to move on. We got uh, AC Romero, 400 pounds, versus veteran Chris Sabin, who looks like he's about 158 pounds on a rainy day, and somehow Chris Sabin wins. Never been a big fan of AC Romero's tag team work, but boy, this guy can take some bumps, and he made Chris Sabin looked like a heavyweight out there. A.C. Romero flew around, took hard bumps on the canvas to moves that should not have caused him to budge. Chris Sabin came in to Impact a month ago for a tag team push. Underweight, too small. He hadn't seen a gym. He, this guy couldn't have found a gym with Google Maps and a Sherpa and a pack animal, okay? This guy is way too undersized to be pro wrestling and instead, you know, they put him in the ring with a 400 pounder because they got to know it. Uh, AC did a great job. Not a fan again of his tag team work, but AC Romero did a great job putting over Chris Sabin here. Next we got Chris Bay versus Eddie Edwards. Chris Bay is a great wrestler. I don't know if you've all seen him. If you all happen to be present in the Bay area when he was coming up, but Chris Bay can wrestle. Kind of bored with Eddie Edwards' new gimmick, and his theme song is the worst. As soon as I hear Eddie Edwards' theme song, I want to change the radio station. Um, But Eddie's fun. I I wish Eddie would come up with a better gimmick and a better song, but it's better than The Wolves. So Eddie is a TNA or an Impact uh, original at this point, even though he's not. He's the closest thing they have to a veteran in the company. So I'm happy that he's there. Bringing some consistency. He gets the win over Chris Bay. Afterwards, Sammy Callahan, Rich Swan, Ken Shamrock, the Rascals. Everybody comes out to talk about their plans for Thanksgiving dinner and beat each other up a little bit. Run in after run in, move on. We got a promo backstage about Deanna Parrazzo and Kimberly on her match coming up against Sue Young. It's a return match for the Knockouts Championship. And during this promo, we're to believe Sue Young kidnaps Kimberly when no one's looking. I worried when Jeremy Borash uh, left TNA to go work production for WWE that the really cool video vignettes they did, like the Hardy Compound and, and all the cool stuff with with Rosemary and Sue Young, that that, that would all go away. Um, they were doing some really cool off-site production things that the WWE was jealous of. You'd see the Wyatt family kind of copying the things that were happening in Impact. And I worried when Jeremy Borash left and he took, you know, Matt Hardy left too. Matt Hardy did a lot of his own stuff. And I worried that Impact would lose that edge, that, you know, out of the ring production edge that they had over other companies. You know, There was a time in 2016, 2015 where all the boys in WWE were sitting around in the locker room watching Impact Wrestling highlights together instead of watching the action that was going on in the ring outside where they were and that speaks to how well Impact was doing with producing an hour long or a 2 hour long program. It wasn't all about live and what was happening in the ring at the time. I worried when they lost some of that staff and and Borash went over to WWE that they'd lose that, but somehow they have kept the backstage edge and they're better at it than other companies. They are and, and their stuff with Su Young is scary. And if you haven't seen it you should watch it. It's like horror movie stuff. It's fun. Uh, it's not corny the way the WWE comes off a lot of the time. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, Kimberly gets kidnapped. Sue Young, uh, the way they leave it afterwards, I will assume Kimberly won't be showing up at the pay per view. So uh, this was pretty cool. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Next, we got another tag team match Reno Scum versus Falaba and Crazy Steve. Reno Scum gets a win. They've been around here acting as a jobber or enhancement talent for some time. They're obviously a real tag team. They wrestle out west. They've been coming into impact doing short runs, and it's their turn to get some wins. So this made sense to me. We're going to move on. We got a promo with Chris Sabin and James Storm drinking in an empty saloon. It appears that we're going to throw these two together in a mixed tag team because I suppose the other half of the Motor City Machine Gun is busy or injured and as we all know Bobby Roode is busy trying to be glorious and very effeminate in the WWE so as long as he's jobbing with Dolph Ziggler he doesn't have room to tag with James Storm so James and Chris they they drank some uh, high alcohol proof beer in a promo we got Josh Alexander versus Carl Anderson Again, this is a singles match as the main event. It's supposed to promote a tag team feud. It's The North, who were champions in Impact for over a year. The North are a world-renowned tag team, for those of you that don't know, and they are legit pro wrestlers. These guys are great. One of them even wears wrestling headgear. They really wrestle versus Carl Anderson of the Good Brothers. He calls himself the Machine Gun now. Luke Gallows, uh, former Lee Bullet Club. Carl Anderson wins by DQ. We have a tag team brawl to to end post-match, and They're heading us off to Turning Point with a bunch of chaos. For those of you that were paying attention at AEW Full Gear last week, Don Callis from Impact showed up and sat in on the AEW Kenny Omega Hangman Page match. If you weren't sure who the guy talking as the fourth man on commentary was, he's one of the writers for Impact. He was a guy who worked back in ECW. He worked for Vince McMahon in the Attitude Era. Don Callis is a legend and a veteran. He's helped bring up a lot of the talent that you see in wrestling today, and he works for Impact. And as AEW spreads their wings and and tries to embrace all of the indies, which we're going to get into in another podcast, I love that, by the way. Uh, It was cool to see Don Callis out there. Haven't seen Don Callis on Impact since the coronavirus outbreak. Madison Rain and Josh Matthews are married. Uh, They kayfabe hate each other, but they're married in real life, and they live together so it's easier to have them do commentary. So Don Callis has backed off, he's more backstage, and he's doing promotion for the show. So this is good stuff. Next, we are going to move on to AEW Dark from the 10th. This was probably the worst AEW Dark ever. Now, you cut the commercials out, this was two hours of a lot of hodgepodge tag team work and a couple really good female matches. So let's get into what came out there. Let's do this. To kick it off, we have Team TNT versus Chaos Project. Team TNT are the twin sons of Devon Dudley from the Dudley Boys. This is Terrell and Terrence. They take on Luther and Serpentico. For those of you that have fast forwarded past Chaos Project's matches on Dark and uh, Jobbing on Dynamite, the gimmick is Luther, who was supposedly king of the death matches over in Asia when he wasn't. Uh, sexually harassing women. Luther uses his tag-team partner Serpentico as a weapon, so throughout the match Serpentico is not only selling damage done by the larger opponents of TNT, but also damage done by his own tag-team partner, Luther, when Luther throws him into people and body slams him on his opponents. It's a pretty interesting gimmick. It's funny. Uh, Serpentico's also got catchphrases he uses in their promos, so if you haven't seen it, check it out. Chaos Project wins. This episode of Dark was mostly a way to take singles wrestlers for AEW and position them as a tag team so they can lose, and bring new tag teams in and feature them as losing tag teams. I'm not sure why there was so much tag team action in Dark this week. It wasn't good. I've heard other podcasts come up with the idea that we should bring back the the U.S. Tag Team Championships, or a secondary tag title for AEW, or a dark championship for AEW because of the vast roster of enhancement talent they have. I have a better idea. Book the tag teams you have, let us watch them lose, and then later when they win, it'll be a bigger deal. There's nothing wrong with a team losing eight matches in a row. I guess AEW feels there's something wrong with it because then you can predict the winner. Well, then be less predictable. Right now, uh, the most predictable thing about AEW Dark is there's going to be a lot of enhancement talent guys that I've never seen before and I'm never going to see again and they have absolutely no chance of winning. And another thing that's predictable is everybody's going to get four or five high spots and everybody's going to hit their finishing move and everybody's going to kick out of the other guy's finishing move. That's predictable. That's predictable. The only unpredictable thing I've seen on AEW programming recently was Kenny Omega coming out and beating Sonny Kiss in about 20 seconds. And the reason that was unpredictable, it's not that Kenny Omega, the best wrestler in the world, shouldn't beat Sonny Kiss in 20 seconds, it's that Tony Khan actually allowed that to happen. It, I realize my target goal here for an audience is people that don't have time to listen to 100 different podcasts. So I'm going to assume that some of my listeners haven't heard but when you listen to Grill and JR, JR is very diplomatic about not ever burying any AEW talent. But what JR will do is criticize trends in the industry and what he means is things that are happening on his program. He he never uses that to criticize WWE and JR will tell you on Grill and JR, he's tired of watching 100 high, high spots Remember the day when Jake the Snake used a DDT to pin a guy. And JR will bring that up whenever there's an opportunity because JR would like to see a little less predictability, uh, less near falls, and a few more, oh, he snuck out a pin because that's what we need more of in AEW. There needs to be less parity sometimes. A squash match is okay. So not to go off on a tangent here, I want to see more real tag teams I want to see some tag team dominance if I'm watching a tag team, because to me, if a guy's getting buried, it gives me a reason to watch him later. Maybe he won't be. Maybe he'll get better. And the guy who does the burying, it means he's dominant. Not everything has to have parity and has to have 25 kickouts at a long two. I get tired of watching enhancement talent jobbers put on great matches. That's not their job, but... You know, you have a billionaire who's booking his own company, and he wants to do right by everybody. And I think Tony Khan and AEW do more right than they do wrong, so I'm going to give him a pass on giving me a lot of parody. But this episode of Dark, way too much tag team. Because there's so much attempted character development, there's not enough real development that's going to stick with us. So I'm going to kind of fly through some of these tag matches. TNT, they jobbed a chaos project. Lewis Valley and Justin Blacks lose to the acclaimed who come out and rap. I'm going to let that sit in for a moment. Anthony Bowens and Max Caster came out and rapped. Uh, When they started wrestling, they were good. They were good at it. They put on a good match. They won convincingly after the rap. Yep. Next, Baron Black and Frankie Thomas beat Top Flight. I can't make this up, folks. We are 18 minutes into AEW Dark, and I am on my third set of tag matches for guys that I care very little about. They fight Top Flight, Darius and Dante Martin. Top Flight, I could tell in this match, were going to be a big deal. They came in 0-1. They won the match. They're 1-1. They looked really good in the match. They're high flyers. They're fast. They have a unique moveset. They're an actual team. They looked good teaming together. Top Flight wins the match. Keep an eye out for them in the future. They'll probably get paired with a a better big-name tag team so they can showcase. Adam Priest and Sean D. take on the Hybrid 2. I would totally gloss over this, except for the fact that I hadn't seen the Hybrid 2 since probably pre-COVID, and I didn't notice because I didn't miss them. Never been a big fan of Gentleman Jack Evans and Helico. But they are unique, and they are interesting to watch. I, I suppose if you're watching TV, your goal is that it be visually stimulating, and that's what this Hybrid 2 team uh, produces. It's visually stimulating pro wrestling. And they won. Might not be my cup of tea, but AEW has something for everybody. So moving on, promo for Chris Jericho's overpriced domestic sparkling wine product, Reboot. This is the second vintage of Little Bit of the Bubbly, which if you do your Homework, you realize, cannot legally be called Champagne, because it's not produced anywhere near France, Uh, and it is way overpriced if you compare it to other wines coming out of the region. But hey, it's on AEW, and some of you who don't know good wine, you will buy it, and you will pay it, because Chris Jericho tells you to, and that's why he is Le Champion. Ashton Starr and David Ali, who no one has ever heard of, take on the Lucha Brothers, who are the best tag team in the world today. Yeah, that's right. You all heard that. Um, the Lucha Brothers win. They will be fighting each other in a rematch of their match from last week on Dynamite. Their match from last week was from the number one contender spot or two weeks ago, and everybody liked it so much they're going to have it again. Um, okay. I love watching the Lucha Brothers fight other people, and I suppose they're waiting their turn to hold the world titles for like a year, because that's the only thing that will make any sense. These guys are the best team in AEW. They're the best team in the world, and they belong holding belts wherever they are. So as soon as FTR and the Young Bucks get out of the way, I expect the real best team in the world who happens to work for AEW to be showcased, because that's what they're there for next we got a match everybody should be watching Danny Jordan versus Leva Bates now I'm gonna tell you Leva Bates one of my favorite female wrestlers love the gimmick love the black trunks love the thick pale white thighs love the blue hair love the librarian I'm a big fan of books Danny Jordan comes out with her own book. She got a burn book. She's going to write nasty jokes about Leva Bates and try to hurt her feelings. And then Leva gets her feelings hurt and she makes a pouty face and then I get aroused and then Leva beats her up and she puts on this sexy cross face and it makes me think of all the other cross faces that I've seen like angry dudes with beards put on and then I get a little weird feeling inside. And then Dan- Danny like promos throughout the match to the referee telling the referee to shut up every time he asked if she's going to give up to a headlock. I mean, this was good stuff. These girls told a story without having any mics in the the ring, without having any history together, or really with any other opponent. Uh, Danny tears up Leva's books outside and brings real heat. Leva beats Danny with a Cazadora roll-through pin. In full disclosure, that is the most complicated move name I'm ever going to give you for an enhancement women's match like this. Cazadora roll-through pin, that is according to Excalibur, I do not have an encyclopedia of wrestling holds that I spent time looking up that move. Cazadora through by Leva Bates. She's got the blue hair, she got the pin, and she got the win on dark for all 35 people watching this program. I was a big fan. I want to point out that for the third week in a row, Taz has been absolutely terrible on commentary. Now... We are going to have an episode soon where I talk about why you listen to this podcast and not the other podcasts that I listen to. One of the reasons, I will always give you reasons why you shouldn't listen to those other shows, uh, it's not that they don't have anything to offer, it's that you have to listen to guys like Bruce Pritchard tell you that Taz's best work in his career was done as a SmackDown commentator. Let me tell you something, Taz was the human suplex machine one of the best wrestlers under six foot tall in the history of pro wrestling, one of the greatest technical wrestling world champions in the history of pro wrestling. If you put Taz in his heyday against Bob Backlund in his heyday, Taz would have broken Bob Backlund's neck or back, and Taz is way more than a commentator on SmackDown. Taz's best years were not spent putting over people in the WWE's B-Show. That's why you listen to me. That's why you don't listen to Bruce Prichard. Uh Taz is terrible as a commentator for AEW because Taz's ego can't get out of the way. Taz doesn't help. He doesn't put over his commentating partners. He buries them. Taz tries to hurt the, the credibility of the other guys he sits there with. Whether it's Excalibur or Tony Schiavone, or whether it's actually Ricky Starks who he's there to put over. Taz is, Taz's whole job is to give Brian Cage something to say, because Brian can't speak for himself, and to make Ricky Starks look like a tough guy, because he's never looked like a tough guy. And Taz embarrasses Ricky Starks on, on Mike. They've brought Ricky in two or three weeks in a row on Dark. They're trying to get him over and at least let you know that he's got personality. Taz totally killed all that by saying, well, you can't just make Team Taz and FTW include everybody, and and you need to know your role. And he basically slaps the back of Ricky's hand for doing what Ricky's supposed to do on commentary, and that's putting over the guys in the ring. The thing is, Taz is more interested in putting over his character right now than he is AEW. And so Tony needs to pull him off of commentary. If he can't get along with Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, on a dynamite taping. He doesn't belong on Dark. The purpose of AEW Dark is to get people over that need to get over. Taz isn't giving anybody a hand. Taz is only hurting these young young athletes. So, I think Taz needs to be replaced on commentary across the board. You want to let Taz manage Great. It, the lines are clear when Taz is out there with a mic and he's got two guys sitting next to him and they're both wrestlers. The lines get blurred when Taz is on a three-man or a four-man commentary team and he starts putting over Taz. We got to stop that. It's no and again, we're going to use the Jim Ross litmus test. If you can't get along with Jim Ross, you don't belong holding the microphone at being asked to carry a 2-hour program and build people's reputations. All Taz has done for the last few weeks is hurt the people whose matches he's calling, so we don't need that. By the way, Taz informed everybody this week that he doesn't read, and he wishes he could burn all books. Uh, He's not interested in Top Flight, so if Top Flight does end up getting over, uh, it's no help to Taz. So we'll check that out in the future. We'll see if Ricky Starks has allowed any leeway and a little longer leash, and we'll see if Taz continues to bury all the young talent. I think he should be removed from commentary altogether. Next match, Alan Angel, number 5 of The Dark Order, takes on Fuego Del Sol in a match that very few people cared about. Hey, if you want The Dark Order guys to seem like badasses, we need to continue to give them names, which I do notice that over the last couple months we've started to put their names instead of just numbers. But I don't know. I'm still having a hard time caring about number 5 and number 10 and all of these guys that wear masks. And that for the first one year of this product, we've been told we're just to enhance Brody Lee or whoever the exalted one ended up becoming when he was brought to the company. For a while, we thought it was going to be Matt Hardy. It ends up being Brody Lee. I bet you when these guys got signed, they were hoping that they would have a character that would put them over, not have a character whose whole job was to put somebody else over and would only be known by a number. But... We're telling people his name. It's Alan Angel. He's number five of the Dark Order, and he won a match. So congratulations. A little more name, a little more personality, and maybe I'll care more next time. Next match, Dream Girl Ellie and Genocide. Whoa. Genocide. Uh, holy that Genocide is something. Uh, versus Diamante and Ivelisse. I'm a big fan of Diamante and Ivelisse. I've been watching Diamante for years and years. Eva Ivalice is one of her opponents uh, from Central America and, and the Latin American Wrestling Federations. They came up together in AEW. They spent a lot of time in the ring fighting each other in the past. I love them as a tag team. They wear these medals around their neck. I guess they won an AEW tag team women's tournament at some point. But Genocide. Whoa. Big fan. Never seen her before. Genocide is six foot something. 200-something pounds. She wears, like, a silver mask, or maybe it's face paint. Uh, quite sexy. Big fan of the outfit. She beats on these these smaller women, dominates them. She's like a futuristic, sexy samurai gladiator. And I'm a big fan. I had no idea this was coming. I thought this was simply going to be a match to feature Diamante and Elise When I saw Genocide come out, I think... I had the same reaction that the commentating team had. I think it was Excalibur just said, whoa. And I said, whoa. And it was impressive. And Diamante and East did win the match, but you have got to check this match out. Hard-hitting Genocide. She stole the show, even though her team didn't win. We might not see Dream Girl Ellie again. We will be seeing Genocide again. If Tony Khan doesn't bring Genocide back, I'll be seeing her again on the indies, because I'm going to go look for that. That was good stuff. Big fan. Diamante wins the award for best look in your tights this week. Uh, Lise and Diamante were competing for sexiest tights on female wrestlers this week. I'm going to give it to Diamante with a close second to her tag team partner. There was a whole lot to look at in this match, and I was happy with all of it. This should have been the main event. It really should have, but it wasn't. Dreamgirl tapped out to a cloverleaf leglock variation from Lise, but who cares? Uh, this was quite a match. I enjoyed it. Main event tonight, Joey Janella and Sonny Kiss. Gonna be taking on Jurassic Express in a match I didn't care much about at all. Jurassic Express wins as they normally do. I, I'm not a fan, okay? I liked 90210 when Luke Perry was playing around with all the girls in Beverly Hills when I was a little boy, but I don't care much about his 140-pound son. I don't care about the guy who pretends to be a dinosaur who may or may not have a graduate degree. I just don't. So I'm glad Tony Khan and the children enjoy Jurassic Express. I hope they sell a lot of merch, but not a fan. Jurassic Express wins. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. We're going to bring you a schedule for the upcoming few days. One of the many things separates us from other podcasts. Upcoming schedule tomorrow will be the Dynamite Review Show, followed by Friday Friday, we're giving you a special segment. It's going to be the 2020 podcast review episode, where we review other podcasts that we used to prep for this show to tell you just why this is a better show. Saturday, SmackDown Review. Sunday, Impact, Turning Point, and Independent Promotion Event Reviews. We're bringing it all to you. This is your one-stop podcast for all of your pro wrestling news, rumors, event recaps, podcast reviews. It's all right here. Thank you for tuning in. Come back tomorrow to All Pro Wrestling 100. Find us wherever you get all your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. Feel free to email. Find us on Instagram, and we've got video that accompanies this on YouTube, if that's your jam. We'll see you tomorrow. Keep watching Pro Wrestling.